a story from my youth. Um, I was a young adult, uh, very lost in my uh, pre-Christian days, and I didn't have anything better to do, so I decided to be a student at SFU for a period of time. I uh, took a communications class there, and uh, one of the exercises I had was uh, in a class was to uh, uh, place certain topics and concepts on a chart. Now, I'm not sure if we're going to get that one up here. Are we going to get it? He's working on it. Okay, so anyway, this chart was broken up into two axes, one, horizo one horizontal, one vertical. The vertical one up and down was, uh, I believe, strong, and the bottom was weak. Okay, so strong at the top, weak at the bottom. And then uh, on one side was, on the, on the horizontal axis, good and bad. So you had this chart like this, and you had to rate certain things in the quadrant that made the most sense. So we, we've got it. There it is. See, there's, there it is. There's the chart. See? So the first, uh, for instance, I can't remember all the terms, but one of them uh, we'll get to in a moment. But say, let's, honesty. Okay, honesty. Where would you rate honesty in that? Well, I put it, you know, on the good side, right? And then fairly strong, but, you know, honesty can sometimes get you into trouble, right? This is all, this is all debatable. This is, I think that was the point in a communications class to, to talk about things. So, so that was one. The second one, for, for an example, was hate. So where would you put hate? Or, I'm sorry, fear. It was fear. No, oh, my bad, my bad. It was fear, okay? Now, fear, where would you put that? Very strong a lot of times, right? And actually, it doesn't serve you very well a lot of times, so kind of on the bad side of, of the spectrum, right? I mean, again, you can, you can argue with me about that after the service. Uh, no. so, so then we were asked to, um, to rate the word love. And this is what I, in my lostness, this is where I rated it. So it's very good, like the best thing in the world, but it's also very weak. Because, in my logical reasoning, uh, you, ha you have to be vulnerable to love, right? You have to risk being hurt. And, and who wants that? So it's actually a very weak position. Well, this is, so that's where I put it, quite logically in my mind. And then we went into a discussion group after, after we'd done our ratings and we were going to talk about where we, you know, what we landed on with these various topics. And... Uh, I'll never forget the reaction of one of my discussion group members. Uh, when I presented my conclusion that uh, my rating, I was being honest, you know, uh, good and weak, uh, she, as I remember, she was married and she was very attractive. Don't know why I remember those things, but in my lostness, that's why I remember what I remember. But, but, but she, what I'll never forget, was the look that she gave me. It was just one of, un, oh, just barely, barely contained loathing. <laughs> you know, how could, she, you know, she's struggling with the, uh, how, what kind of twisted mind would produce that type of description of love? Weak, what are you? Anyway, that's stuck with me. Uh, <laughs> as you can see. But you know, I wasn't alone in, uh, in thinking that the way of love is actually a way of weakness. 
there's a phenomenon in the 60s and 70s in the United States where African American, a large number of African American young men left the faith that they grew up in, which was Christianity, and embraced Islam, an American-bred form of Islam. And, you know, this was quite a phenomenon. A couple of very, well, many very famous people, a couple of the best uh, uh, African-American athletes ever, ever heard of Muhammad Ali? You know, he was Cassius Clay, embraced Islam, became Muhammad Ali, probably the best center, uh, basketball center in the history of the, of the world, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, he was Lou Alcindor growing up uh, and playing at UCLA. So those are two examples. Well, the sociological research that was done to determine well, why, why are these people embracing Islam uh, hit on one common theme. And that theme was that these uh, young uh, African-American men were tired of being weak. Have, they were being abused systematically, prejudiced against, feeling it all the time, and their, um, and their response, the only response that they had was that their leaders would give them was to, well, you've got to turn the other cheek. And they got tired of it. And this Islam that they embraced had other values. It had uh, resistance and uh, truth-telling and even aggression that uh, was more attractive to angry young men. And now, whatever you may think about those decisions, it's not hard to understand, really, is it? Uh, just got an a email, a article from a friend this week, Larry Beatty sent us an email about missionaries uh, and in the uh, in very hostile environments. And Somalia, actually, uh, was what it opened up with. And they uh, knew of hundreds of Christians there. And by the time they left, uh, there were only four left who had not been killed because of their conversion to Christianity. It's a, it's a place of weakness, and they, they, they put it in these terms, like, I got, we got tired of the crucifixion all the time, and no resurrection. And the crucifixion is a place of weakness, isn't it? So it's not hard um, to, to understand why uh, weakness can be associated with the love of the gospel. And yet, one of the answers to our question, what is God? is very clear in Scripture. Almighty God is love. 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. All right? Now, ever since becoming a Christian uh, a few decades ago, um, it's been a process to um, move past that worldly idea of love being this soft, fuzzy set of feelings, warm feelings, right, that um, is essentially soft, as I said, and weak. And if we're not careful, our Christianity can become a religion of niceness, can't it? Okay, you, you do good things nicely to people and ultimately everything will be okay. And actually, I don't know, I see that. I don't know about you. 
A second answer to the question, what is God, is that he's a trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we spent a few weeks last month exploring that. And uh, if you want the uh, sermons, you can pick those up on our website and review the, uh, the insights and background that are provided there in that sermon series. And I can't take the time to repeat that entire biblical basis for the conclusion that God actually is a trinity. Um, but let me attempt to summarize what I believe the Bible reveals about God and his three-in-oneness. And it's this. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit are three distinct divine persons, so they're three distinct divine persons, who exist in a state of love, so perfect that they can truly be called one God. Truly, not just figuratively. Okay, A state of love so perfect that those three distinct divine persons love each other, if we will, so much that they're actually one God. Okay? Does that make sense? I can't make sense of the Trinity any other way than that, to be, in, to be honest, or the biblical revelation, actually, what the Bible says about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct divine persons, okay? The only beings in the universe that, dis, that have the divine nature but they exist in a unity produced by perfect love, so much so that they can truly, again, truly, not just, yeah, it's like they're, it's like they're one. No, but they truly are. Hard to grasp? Hard to get? Uh, well, God probably should be mind-blowing to us. Well, that's my uh, conclusion to the matter. Now, if I'm correct in that, then the very essence of God truly is love. We can truly say God is love. A never-ending, eternally existing, actively ongoing, uh, self-sustaining, divinely powerful wellspring of pure love between the three members of the Trinity. When we say God is love, we're not asserting some impersonal force for good in the universe, you know. It's, it's something far more than that. God is bound together with an authentic and uh, pure relationship of active love. So that makes sense of the statement for me that God is love. God is love because He is a Trinity. He's actually love. Love needs an object. Love needs someone to love and receive love from. The, the Trinity provides that. And we can make sense of the Trinity these three separate beings, divine beings, if God is love, because 
that love unifies them actually into one God. Let's have a little more fun now. What, uh, what are some of the positive emotions we associate with love? What, I'll give you one to start with. We'll start with, start with affection. Okay, so affection is that thing we feel when we see Carmela's baby and when Carmela's baby smiles. That reaction in us. We, oh, our kids go, oh, he's so cute. <laughs> right? That response in your gut, in your heart, to this, to this ba- beautiful baby or some other beautiful, cute thing. Like we're, That response has been called by philosophers the most civilizing force in the cosmos. It melts the hardest hearts, has the power to anyway, maybe not the hardest, but most hard hearts, and, and re- causes a response to protect, to, oh, the world is not lost. This baby just smiled. I want to protect that. I want to preserve that. I want to multiply that. It's just such a good feeling. Okay, what are some others? There's some other emotions or feelings that we associate with love joy okay how okay who said that okay marianne expand on that joy when do you feel joy in love speak up now come on i know you can Okay. Okay, so a situation that you're with another person or with other person, and you're, you're, just, you're just experiencing joy, the joy of being in the presence or being with that person in a relationship of some sort. Okay? What else? What are, forgiveness? Who said that? Okay, thank you. All right. Forgiveness. So, you know, that was one, that's a remarkable, it's, it's just such a remarkable feeling, isn't it? To, uh, why don't you expand on it? Come on, tell, tell me more. Please, please, you got to do this. What's so good about forgiveness? Fantastic. It's so true, isn't it? You're bound up, you're, oh, you're mad, you're, 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 and then finally, oh, I'll forgive. And wow, wow, like the, the seas open, don't they? All of a sudden, it's gone. I feel so good to be able to forgive and to, or to, and to be forgiven. It's a good feeling, really. Okay, others. Ah, Garrett. Okay, you're going to have to expand on that. And he really is, you know, you guys, you've got to be really goofy, really silly. No, no. Right, it, it, you said a, a freedom, right? A freedom, just to have fun, be goofy. Is that, is that what, am I right? Like, just, just, just to have fun, it, it, be crazy. 
Wow, what, what liberty, really? Freedom, just to... Okay, some other things. Happiness. Happiness, okay, all right. So how's that different from joy? Victor, come on. Sorry? Okay. You can be happy without winning the lottery, right? Yeah, you can be. And uh, it feels like you won the lottery sometimes, just when you're, you're happy with another. Hey, no, I'm happy. I'm content. Things are good. I don't need anything. This is great. Am I on the right track, Victor? I don't want to be putting words in your mouth. here. All right. Okay. <laughs> Shut up and carry on. Okay. Anything else? Sacrifice. Sorry. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Okay. Come on, Jenny. Wow. That's right. And it feels so good, doesn't it? To be able to, okay, I'm going to put myself aside for a moment and actually do something truly for someone else, without ulterior motives. Is that right? To serve someone from a pure heart. That's a gift. That's a, that's a gift. Good feelings. Okay. <laughs> honor. And someone would, yes, you feel honored and affirmed by someone who, who serves you sometimes, or just simply, uh, simply knows you and is able to uh, affirm who you actually are, affirm the good things in you. So it's, that's honor. And to, to honor someone, it's free. It's wonderful to be a place where you can actually honor somebody. It's also wonderful to be honored. Those are, those are great feelings. Great feelings. All, all part of what we associate with love. I've got a couple more here. Okay, L. Well, you good? <laughs> okay, brace yourselves. We're getting a word here. Come on out. I decided to take aggression seriously, and you can see that from my, from my back here, that if you're a result of evolution, then there really was no purpose in your coming into being. It was an accident. And so there are no rules for you. There is only rules that you make up yourself, just like in a game. And so I've got that line in there about being like a game. And uh, so yeah, I gotta read what this. I'm doing is challenging the unbelievers in their own presuppositions and in their own beliefs. And so that's where aggression comes in. And my rejoinder from our side would be another limerick, uh, a wondrous thought for which words are too few without... <clears throat> Before earth was formed, God already knew my name and his purpose for me. About that I can rest easily. Thank you. <laughs> you got to read this. Let me, let me read this. Evolution provided no plan for the surprise appearance of man. No purpose or aim. Life's a kind of a game. Extinction. Well, we'll just smile if we can. Okay, I got that wrong, but go sit down. People can read it afterwards. <laughs> go, people will read it afterwards there. I'll go for it. Yeah. 
You need it to be on your front, L. <laughs> Back and front, that's right. All right, I'm just going to hit on a couple, couple more. But love is a generator of very powerful, positive feelings, emotions, right? What about, what about trust? What about actually being trusted? Someone very close to me recently expressed that what he really appreciated was being trusted to do something and to do it right. That's, that's a great feeling. Isn't that, that puts, wow, I'm significant. Somebody actually who I care about trusts me. Or to actually be able to trust someone, to have a relationship where, you know what, I'm going to trust that person with something precious, something important, something significant. That's a great thing to be able to do. Isn't that a wonderful feeling? Positive thing? How about unity in a, in a cause? Isn't that a wonderful feeling? Like from, from just playing on a sports team where you're together towards one goal. Um, from that to something actually more significant, like a, a, an army platoon, or maybe even more significant, uh, determining, covenanting together to build a family, a marriage and a family together. Unity in that. Wow, that is so motivating. It's a good feeling. Right? Agree? Violently disagree with aggression? <laughs> okay, these are some of the emotions, if you will, that both bind God together in the, within the Trinity and make Him one God. They also provide this unending source of power. Good feelings. Now, we have good feelings. Imagine God's good feelings toward one another. Wow! The Son delighting in the Father's ideas and His will. The Father delighting in the Son's willingness to serve and be able to trust Him. Uh, the, the Father uh, trusting the Holy Spirit to work creation in the world as well as to bring God into human hearts. The Holy, he trusts the Holy Spirit to do that, and the Holy Spirit's delighted to do that, to glorify the Son, to glorify the Father. Forget about me. Right? That's marks the Holy Spirit. Those things are constantly going on in this thing we call the Trinity. A few weeks back, uh, Derwin showed this slide, um, of the, a slide of the sun. And he explained, as he did, the, the, the nuclear reactions that are going on at the core of the sun. And they start there and they explode with unbelievable power and it takes them years, the, the power emitted from those explosions at the core takes years to get to the surface of the sun. And then it bursts out and then it takes eight seconds of the remaining time to get to the earth and to seconds <laughs> okay minutes minutes thank you Philip 
eight minutes to get to the surface of the earth and beyond uh, from there to bring solar energy. So, this, so what, what occurred to me in that is that at the, at the core of the Trinity, there are these ongoing uh, ex nuclear explosions of love and affection and unity and pride. pride. I want to brag about this. I want to honor this person. That's happening constantly within, uh, within the Trinity. These forces are powerful, right? Constant mutual appreciation. They're, they're, they're the forces of love that actually res resulted in creation. Wow, I don't know why I was so powerful here. You get that? Those forces of love that result in the desire... Uh, not just to the desire to include others in this. They can't be contained. God, God wants. So why did, why did he create the world? Because he wanted to expand this uh, love. He wanted to share this love with people who actually could love. Those made in his image. Those with a free ability. Somehow, mysteriously, the ability to love. That's us, made in his image. That's human beings. Theologians have uh, hit on a term, and Derwin, I think, mentioned this in his sermons, to try and describe what the Trinity, what is going on in the Trinity uh, at its core. It's called perichoresis, is this, um, is this very scholarly term, Greek term, and uh, I'm going to quote, read a quote from Jonathan Marlowe, who's a present-day theologian. And he says this, The theologians in the early church tried to describe this wonderful reality that we call Trinity. If any of you have been to a Greek wedding, I haven't, but if any of you have, you may have seen their distinctive way of dancing. That dance is called perichoresis. There are not two dancers, but at least three. They start to go in circles, weaving in and out in this very beautiful pattern of motion. They start to go faster and faster, all the while uh, staying in perfect rhythm and in sync with each other. Eventually, they're dancing so quickly, yet so effort effortlessly, that as you look at them, it just becomes a blur. Their individual identities are part of a larger dance. Now, the early church fathers and mothers looked at that dance, which is called perichoresis, and said, that's what the Trinity's like. It's a harmonious set of relationships in which there's mutual giving and receiving. This relationship is called love, and it's what the Trinity is all about. The perichoresis is the dance of love. And it's into that dance that God invites each of us and each human being that's ever lived. Now contrast this with the nature and work of Satan, the devil. Uh, the Greek word for devil is diabolos. 
comes from two separate Greek words, dia, which is, uh, refers to either through, uh, a motion through something, generally, that's the common use. Um, uh, though I'm told by Greek scholars, of which I do not, I'm not one, <laughs> uh, that that can mean from as well in certain contexts. So, and then the, uh, the second word is bolos, which is to throw. And we get the word ball from, from that word. So dia and bolus, throw from or throw, throw through. And it's, it's, you, it's translated often, devil is often translated, this word diabolos, as accuser or uh, slanderer. And the goal at any rate is to destroy something, destroy someone's integrity, destroy reputation, uh, break apart, dis integrate the opposite of integration disintegration that's that's the devil by by his very name and it's not hard to see examples of that uh, biblically you don't have to go farther than the first couple of chapters of genesis right the garden of eden satan appears and the result when you followed his advice was followed was uh, alienation, alienation from God, alienation from one another. That's the work of the devil, Satan, our adversary, as that word means. And it's because of that reality, because of that hostile reality person uh, in the universe and our own weakness, to listen to that person, that another answer to the question, what is God, emerges. And that's that he is a consuming fire. God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 29, if you want to look it up. The very nature of God is love, but his love is not sentimental weakness, despite my pre-Christian understandings. God's love is all-powerful, it's all-compassionate, it's a core of burning purity. And it's completely and unalterably opposed to anything that's contrary to love. God's love is just, it's violently, aggressively opposed to anything that's contrary to love. That's what the law is all about, right? Uh, Ten Commandments, if you will. It's all about it's against those things that oppose love relationships in human relationships and in our relationship with God. Love God, love your neighbor, that fulfills the law of God. And it may not be enough to say that God's kind of love, you know, we know there's human love and then there's God's kind of, God's love, and, and it's different. And so we're, 
You know, we normally say God's love is a holy love. Ours is something less than holy, and we will all grant that place, but we're not perfect in our love. But his is, uh, and we're tempted to say God's love is a holy love, and we couldn't be far off. But maybe even, and leave this with you, it may be better to say that God's love is actually the fire of holiness itself. God's love, the purity of it, the passion of it, is the actual fire of holiness. God's love is not weak. Even human love is strong, right? Think of the things people have done for the sake of love. Um, and consider this quote from the Song of Solomon. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. I thought it was interesting there that the very flame of the Lord <laughs> is likened to love or the jealousy that love, pure love produces. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he'd be, he'd be mocked, he'd be utterly despised. By love? Huh. God's love is not weak. It was in the heart of God the Father to reconcile his creation, especially us, the only beings made in his image to himself, to make peace, right? to make peace, to make a way. And we know this well, for God so loved the world that he gave his own son. This was his response, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. So that plan, the whole outworking of uh, how do we save these guys from themselves came out of a heart of love, the Father. And Jesus, when it was, the plan was laid out in heaven, the thoughts were shared, Jesus said, here am I, send me, trust me with this, right? And so he was clothed in human flesh. God, one of the divine beings, again, another mind-blowing concept, but he became one of us, a human being, limited himself in that way. And God the Father and the Holy Spirit couldn't contain themselves. That first Christmas morning, uh, the, the heavens split open, right? God wasn't going to contain this. This is what's happening. Pay attention. When else was a choir of angels ever revealed to anyone? Pay attention, guys. Then at his baptism, Jesus submitting in humility to human, human ordinance. Okay, I, I know. 
I'm prepared to do this. God couldn't contain himself then either. He says, you know, it's quite a strong word that's used there. It split the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descended. The Holy Spirit that hovered over the creation of the cosmos, right? That same Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus and Jesus became the anointed Savior. That's what Jesus Christ means. The anointed, say anointed with whom? The Holy Spirit of God. And then, and then God just says, wow, you are my, and everybody heard it, right? You are my son in whom I am, who I love, right? Sorry, you are my son who I love. The love of the Trinity just couldn't, it couldn't remain undeclared at that moment. Who are who I love, in whom I am well pleased. And probably maybe my favorite at the Mount of Transfiguration because Peter does something stupid. Maybe I would. In that, where Jesus is uh, revealed as speaking to, to us, is revealed to a select group of disciples, Peter, James, and John. And as speaking with, with Elijah and with Moses, wow, Jesus is speaking with them. And they knew this. And, uh, and they're freaked out. Uh, scripture says that Peter didn't know what to say because he was so afraid. So he says, well, let's make, let's make three memorials, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. Jesus. And God couldn't stand it from heaven again sends a cloud upon, upon them. No, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And then finally, at the crucifixion, where Jesus fulfills the Father's will, right, does what is entrusted to him, uh, submits to the uh, most unimaginable, deepest suffering the universe has ever seen, including being separated from his father, divine separation somehow, and uh, God sends, can't stand it either then. And he sends darkness for three hours. Dark, like sun stops shining, it said. I don't know what that means, but it's pretty dark. Darkness upon the earth for three hours around Jesus, as he moved towards actually giving up his spirit. And then, of course, when he dies, the earth quakes, shakes, the temple is, veil is torn, and uh, those, the message was sent in those things, and the message was received by the witnesses who, who just were, were shaking in awe and fear and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. God gave the message, and the message was received. We all need to take heed to this. Uh, Each of us will have to give an account for how we responded to the love of God 
in Jesus Christ. All of creation, everything in it, will one day bow before the wonder of that gift that is all wrapped up in God's divine love. He's patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish. But there will come a time when there are no more chances. So, we, I, implore you with the Apostle Paul and all that have gone before us who are in heaven, be reconciled to God now. Don't wait. Accept this free gift of his love because there's a cost attached to it in the heart of God himself. Right? So the author of the book of Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now, what keeps you from believing that all those feelings that we talked about, those good feelings that God has uh, that are part of love, we, we've heard God loved the world. He so loved that he gave Jesus. He loves you with all those all those emotions, all those feelings. He's delighted in you. He, he, he made you. He understands you. He has compassion for you. He's, he's on your side. What keeps you from believing that? Well, if you were like me before, you know what, when I made that rating about God or love being strong and, or good and weak, it, it's because of, Wow. If anybody really knew what I was like, really knew, they would, uh, they would just turn away in disgust. Kind of like that woman in my dis discussion group. Well, if they really knew. Those things that keep you from God are those things that you know are where you fall short. Your sins, your sin. But God's gift, God's holy love has the power to burn all those things away. Just Jesus has done it. The cross did it. Every last one of those things can be burnt away by the fire of God's holy love for you. He's done it. You can be forgiven. And he delights to do that. We're going to spend some time uh, responding to the Lord now with a second set of worship. So uh, you will get to sing some more songs now. And following that, I'm hoping we'll have a brief time of response where you'll have an opportunity to stand up and speak uh, in praise, thanksgiving, or insight that you might have.
and in his love, he will no longer rebuke you. And you know what he'll do instead? That was me, not scripture. Okay, back to scripture now. He will rejoice over you with singing. Imagine that. Picture his face looking at you. Yeah, you can sit down if you like now. That's fine. We're going to close with another song in a moment, but I wanted to give you both. This, a worship service actually is all about what's happening with you. And uh, I, uh, I want to give you an opportunity if you'd like to pray in response to what you've heard or thought, what God has said to you. Uh, you know, Apostle Paul says, you know, don't you know, and he's talking to a church, the church of Corinth, gathered church. Don't you know that you are the temple of God's spirit? And he says later that, yes, physically we're the temple of God's spirit. But in this context, he's talking about the church gathered. Don't you know that you're the temple of the Lord and that God's spirit is in you? God's Holy Spirit is here and so maybe um, he'll prompt you to either pray in praise or worship or thanksgiving 
He might prompt you to read a scripture. He might prompt you to give a word of testimony uh, brief. It'll have to be brief, but uh, to give opportunity for others. But we want to spend a few minutes doing that. So feel free. You'll have to stand up and make yourself heard, okay? Uh, because we all want to benefit from what you have to say and what the Lord's doing. So with that, I just want to open it up to you to participate uh, if you feel led.
Oh, it could be, yeah. Mm. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I'm sure he did. Amen. Thank you. Oh, Scott. Jen. <laughs> no, okay. Hey, Amen. All right. Thanks, Jen. All right. For the sake of time, uh, we're going to wrap things up now with a closing song.
Hope you'll allow me just to pray over you before we leave. Holy Spirit, uh, 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 Lord, be gracious to us and allow us to taste afresh uh, your perfect love. Kindle that afresh in our hearts. And Lord, as we walk through this week, may we be uh, strengthened by the love of God. Uh, we need you to. We need you to open our understanding, Lord. We need you to make it possible to experience it. But I pray that for each one here today, Lord. May your blessing rest upon them in this way and in every other way that's in your mind. We pray uh, in as you've instructed us and invited us in Jesus' name. Amen. So. Uh...